Hi, welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, May the 7th. Hey, we kick off with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Always great to check in with the mayor. This time around, we find out his thoughts on the state of COVID here in our city and certainly get his reaction to the new provincial restrictions that were put in place earlier this week. The pandemic has been hard for so many for so many different reasons as well, but new data shows it's been especially tough on mothers. We'll get details on a survey released this week by the Canadian Women's Foundation. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Have more students been cheating their way through university during the pandemic? Well, one academic misconduct expert says, uh, yes, and it's a problem she says we have to take action against now. We find out about the $15 billion industry known as contract cheating companies. And finally, it's going to be a little wet and chilly this weekend, which means it's the perfect time to do a little streaming. We catch up with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes for a list of what's on, including a unique superhero series on Netflix. 8-11 on Mornings with Sue and Andy. From expanded vaccination eligibility to new restrictions in our city and across the province, Mayor Nahed Nenshi joins us now to chat about all things Calgary. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Mayor? Mr. Mayor. Mayor Nenshi? Good morning. Oh, I thought Gosh, you were ignoring first Andy. First time in forever that I muted you. I <laughs> wasn't sure if you were offended by being a cowboy on the steel horse you ride, the Bon Jovi. Uh, I've given up on the uh, subliminal messages. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted dead or alive? I'm not, I'm not sure. No, 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 no. I want to kick things off with a message that was sent in the past 24 hours by millennials, not only across the province, but in our city. Over 100,000 strong taking advantage of the eligibility. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, as always, the millennials want to show up as Gen Xers, uh, <laughs> and that is awesome. Uh, I'm super happy about it. Listen, this week is so different than last week in terms of the conversation. Here's what hasn't changed. The numbers are super high, and they're super bad. Uh, and they're going to get worse. The next couple of weeks are going to be really awful. But with a combination of the new restrictions, and we've seen these kinds of restrictions work before, in November, in December, they brought down the numbers so fast, and with more people getting vaccinated, things will get better. But they're not better yet, and it's going to take a little bit of work to get us there. So, you know, last week, I think I told you about two friends of mine who are both sisters, uh, who contracted the virus even just as they got their first uh, vaccination. It hadn't had time to kick in yet. And one of them was in the intensive care unit. We weren't sure. It was very touch and go. And the other sister got admitted to hospital. Earlier this week, the older sister, the one who was not in ICU, put a post out on her Facebook and she gave me permission to share. And she basically said, Please, please follow the restrictions. Please, please get your vaccination. She told her story and her sister's story. And she ended with, I'm only 47. I don't want to die. Mm. But I've got news, which is she has been released from hospital. Oh, great. And she is preparing at home to receive her sister at home because her sister got out of ICU. She'll oh. still be in hospital for a while, but both of them are on their way to recovery. Thank goodness. Nobody needs to go through that. So for them and for everybody, 
this discipline, abiding by the rules and getting your shot as soon as you're available. That's how we're going to get out of this. That is great news. I'm very happy for you and for all of their loved ones. It's, it's, it's horrible to hear those stories, but, uh, you know, happily, uh, they're, they're both going to be okay and come out the other side of it, as will Not we. And, you know, I wanted to bring up as well, Merit, you know, not just the vaccines and, and the appointments, but also some enforcement now, some teeth to the rules that have been put in place. You must have been pleased to hear that as well. You know, I'm not very bloodthirsty usually, um, but I know how frustrating and how maddening it has been for people to see folks just flagrantly violating the rules. Yeah. I have a friend who works at the East Village Superstore where there was going to be a maskless protest yesterday. I guess nobody showed up, thank God. But, you know, getting more enforcement in place is really important. Stopping some of the leaders of these things who are coincidentally not coincidentally also the leaders of some of our white nationalists and uh, exactly. insurrection movements in the city and having some teeth around how better to enforce the rules against them is really important. But the proof is in the pudding. So let's see what happens this weekend. Let's see what happens over the course of the next week or so. Uh, but I strongly suspect that if anyone thinks these folks had a free pass, that free pass has been revoked. Would you, have, would you have changed anything from the restrictions announcement from what we heard earlier this week? It actually went a little bit further than I was expecting the government to go, but that just shows how serious it is. Um, I know that the only real challenge that the government had was on the question of retail. And certainly they were feeling very nervous about keeping big box stores open for essential items, not having to saran wrap off the aisles that were quote-unquote non-essential items. Um, but what the impact that would have on smaller business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I may have looked at a different, a different solution as relates to malls in particular, which tend to be large national chains, fewer small local businesses. Uh, but ultimately, I think they did the right thing. The hardest, the, probably the hardest thing in what they did was patios. A lot of restaurants have spent a lot of money. Certainly the city has tried to make it easier to open patios. Uh, and that was a real question. But the challenge we're having on streets like 17th Avenue, for example, is that the patios are bringing lots and lots of people. There's tons of congestion on the streets. It tends to violate the whole concept to stay home as much as you can yeah. and go out only for essential items. And because you're not, and, and everyone always says, how come I can go to Walmart with 800 people and not sit on a patio with 50 people? Because you're not wearing a mask <laughs> and because you're sitting there for a long period of time. So even though it feels like you're outside, although I hear a couple of restaurants uh, got charged for a very generous definition of outside, (laughs) Um, but uh, it feels a little bit safer. But because of the duration, because of the fact that you're not masked, because of the fact that people are stopping on the street to chat with you, it actually, we have seen transmission on patios. And so the government just felt like, let's stop every form of transmission we can find. Well, if, you know, if we can get the vaccines in the arms and we can hopefully very soon put those patios to good use once again. So, Mayor, we have to take a, a break. Can you hang on for a couple of minutes? I sure can. We have a couple more questions for you. Thanks so much. That is Mayor Nahad Nenshi. We'll be back with him in just one minute. 820 mornings with Sue and Andy. More with Mayor Nahad Nenshi. And uh, Mr. Mayor, normally I wouldn't delve into your your time outside of work hours, but I understand you had a phone call last night and I'm hoping we can uh, you know get some details on it. It was a phone call with uh, the Prime Minister, wasn't it? The night before last. Okay, on uh, Wednesday. I don't <laughs> I was, want to pry into your Wednesday night. I was suddenly cracking my brain going, <laughs> What did you do last night? night and is it appropriate to talk we about always, it? We always have our eyes on you. Um, <laughs> how did it go and what was, what was the content of the convo? 
Well, you know, it's not every day uh, that you just randomly get a text message saying, are you available for a phone call with the prime minister right now? And to which my response always is, does anyone say no to that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, sorry, I'm watching Friends. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so uh, he did call. And it was actually very nice of him to call. He just called uh, to say, you know, how are things going? The numbers are so bad. Is everything under control? Uh, He expressed that he had had the chance to speak with the premier and that the premier had said that everything was okay. We didn't need anything in particular uh, from the federal government. So I took that as an opportunity to talk about some of the supports we're going to need coming out of the pandemic from the federal government. As well as one question, uh, and I'll just raise it, and I don't want anyone to freak out about it because it's just a question in my mind, which is with the really good news that we will be expanding the vaccine eligibility to everybody over 12 on Monday, which is so awesome. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, my nieces have never been so excited for a medical procedure. (laughs) They want those needles so bad. But um, will we actually have the capacity within our system to deliver those doses into people's arms? Uh, you know, our the Telus Convention Center, just because of staffing, it's a bit hit and miss. You could be there for 15 minutes. You could be there for three hours. And so usually the shorter, but sometimes the latter. And so my real question was, is there anything that the Governor of Canada can do to help us with resources, people, to just help deliver those doses? Mm-hmm. And we talked about a few potential ideas where we could authorize different uh, types of people, maybe even just everyday volunteers, to do the actual dose delivery while trained medical professionals draw the syringes, for example. And so we're, luckily, we know logistics very well at Calgary Emergency Management. And so we're just looking at everything we can do to speed up the process and make sure that we can handle that influx of demand over the next little while. Interesting, Mayor. We got a text in a fellow that tried to book his shot and as of yesterday could only get May 28th. So with all the people who are booking in, yeah, that definitely pushes your 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 appointment time far back. So can you bring in help through the federal government? Because the Premier said he didn't want nor need any help from the feds. Can you do that for us municipally? Potentially, um, but... The real question is how, like what kind of help? It's not like the federal government has, you know, an army of robots that they can deploy, right? Uh, it's all a matter of figuring out what we can uh, what we can do. And so there's some policy changes that may help. I will encourage people to do a couple of things, which is, number one, kind of do keep checking the AHS site because if you have an appointment that's later on, because appointments do tend to open up. And... If you need to change your appointment, I know a lot of people are on multiple waiting lists. They might be waiting at an AHS site, but also at their local pharmacy. If you're not going to attend, cancel your appointment so that spots do open up. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of keep checking because capacity increases and changes every single day, uh, which I think will help. And on the other other end of that question, uh, you know, Calgary Emergency Management and I, We'll continue to try and think of other options just to get more people up because now we think that we're going to get about a million doses of Pfizer and some doses of Moderna uh, over the course of the next month. And that's kind of the limits of the capacity of what we can deliver. Mm -hmm. And so if we can ease that up a little bit, that would be great. And everybody do remember, although it's a pain and there's no central way to do it, do call your local pharmacies and just ask how they're managing it and how you get on their lists as well. Good points. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time this morning, Mayor. We appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Rainy weekend, so it might be a little easier to stay safe. But remember, stay home as much as you can. 
limit your interactions with people outside of your household for now and keep doing all the good things you've been doing uh, to keep one another safe. Uh, we're going to get through this. Good message. Thank you so much. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi. 7.49 mornings with Sue and Andy. A recent survey shows almost 50% of mothers are reaching their breaking point amid the pandemic. And in light of their special day this weekend, the Canadian Women's Foundation is calling on the nation to support our parents, not only on Mother's Day, but beyond. To help break down this new data, we're joined by Andrea Gunraj, of course, Vice President of Public Engagement with the Canadian Women's Foundation. Good morning to you, Andrea. Oh, good morning. Well, let's break down this research. What would you say the the biggest takeaway is from the data and from this research? Well, certainly that piece about almost half of mothers reaching their breaking point, that really um, stunned us. And to tell you the truth, I would even imagine that it could be more in so many ways um, because this pandemic has been very difficult on mothers and family caregivers in particular. Um, I think one of the pieces that really stunned us as well, too, that 43% of women said that they were anxious. 35% they felt isolated, and that's compared to 35% of men or fathers saying that they felt anxious and 25% saying isolated. So definitely there's a higher rate um, for mothers. We also found that 26% said they felt angry and sad compared to 18 and 15% of fathers. Mm. So there's a lot of really difficult negative emotions, and this is, of course, along the lines of a lot of studies that talked about how the mental health of women and of caregivers in particular, which often falls to women, um, that it's really a suffering right now and that women are carrying the load of this, not only for themselves, but also worry for their family members. You know, and Andrew, you point out uh, something important, not only for the the others that they're looking after, but for themselves. And I would imagine mental health issues are certainly, uh, you know, playing a part in the survey and the numbers that you've seen with mm-hmm. moms not being able to really look after themselves because they're busy looking after everybody else in their work. World. You said it, um, you know, three and five moms said that they would love to make their mental health more of a priority, but half of them, 47%, were unable to prioritize taking care of themselves very much because their time and their energies and their mental attentions are pulled in other directions. And I think that just goes to show that caregiving is tough work and mothering is tough work. It's always tough. Before the pandemic, it was tough, but certainly you can see the pressures just doubling and tripling in lots of different ways in the pandemic context. And the many different hats that moms wear, obviously we think of them as superheroes. They're our mother, but they have lives outside the home. And, and uh, you know, the struggle between work demands and home demands. Do you have some stats on that? Because I would think that that homework balance would be one of the main, main, uh, many pressures on them. Absolutely. We found that, you know, uh, people are saying that they're afraid to taking time to take time off of work because they're af- afraid they're going to lose their jobs. A quarter of moms said that. And then um, we're seeing that people, half of mothers are saying that it's exhausting, balancing work and child care responsibilities. Again, very much in line with other data we've seen that women are now participating in the workforce in a historic low because they have so many unpaid responsibilities. Now, I always think about that in terms of moms who may not have as much support, perhaps single moms who are always on a higher risk of poverty a higher risk of other issues and concerns because they really have a difficult time on a normal basis Mm -hmm. being able to take care of kids and take care of elders as well, too. I don't want to forget that, that caregiving is beyond children. Um, And I think that, you know, if you are 
paid time is now at risk because of your unpaid responsibilities, then your ability to stay out of poverty and afford housing and afford food and all those basics that we all need to live come into question. And of course, it impacts all your dependents at the same time. So it's a really, it's a a kind of a shock kind of that moves in waves across families and communities. And we're really mindful of that now as we're celebrating moms, we're going into Mother's Day. we got to think about supporting moms in a really robust way. And we certainly heard the term she-session as a result of exactly what we're talking about here today. Now, are you asking uh, women to go to CanadianWomen.org and get involved in a survey still? Absolutely. This survey is going to be open for the whole month. We're asking mothers and family caregivers to please fill out the survey by going to CanadianWomen.org. It's a very simple eight-question survey where we just want to hear what you're going through from your own words. We just want to hear, you know, what you're struggling with, what you're concerned with. And this information is a real important thing for us as the Canadian Women's Foundation to be able to move forward and match um, what people are saying they're struggling with and know the direction we need to support on. But I think it's really important as well, too, to share to decision makers that uh, we may be in touch with and, and put out to the world, again, to raise the voice of those who often tend to stay voiceless or feel like they can't express these things because they feel they might be judged. Mm-hmm. I, I really think it's important to listen nowadays. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us, Andrea. We appreciate, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for covering this. You bet that's Andrea Gunraj, Vice President of Public Engagement with the Canadian Women's Foundation, online at canadianwomen.org. Have school disruptions, pandemic stress, and learn-from-home orders led to more students cheating? One academic misconduct expert says yes, and it's a problem she says Canada has to take action on now. Sarah Elaine Eaton joins us to talk about the details. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, so academic misconduct. Are we talking about there literally, it seems to, anyway, or is there evidence to back up that students are, are going out and intentionally trying to cheat on their work as they're doing more of it online these days? Well, I think what we're seeing more of are students not knowing necessarily what the rules are for online learning, and there are also companies out there who are actively preying on our students, uh, saying they will do their homework for them, they will send in exam impersonators to write their exams for them, they will quote-unquote help them, uh, but really, it's a form of misconduct. Okay, so so where, I'm just wondering, I mean, obviously this is a different world from when, uh, you know, Sue and I went to school and, um, you know, you would maybe ask your buddy, hey, do you, what, what's the focus of your paper? Uh, you know, there was no resources aimed at, at helping students and profiting, you know, in a scam-like fashion. Where do they come from and uh, who, who are behind these scams? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, right? Probably when we went to university, there was the odd freelancer doing this work. There was the odd term paper mill. This is now a 15 billion, that's be be like Bravo, billion dollar online global industry. And are they legit then, doctor? Are they, like, I mean, is, is the information they're peddling, is it legitimate or are students even buying bad information? Well, and that's the thing, is what, what we found is some of these companies are operating like organized crime. So they try and front their business with legit services saying, oh, we'll tutor you. But then students get in there and they say, well, you pay us a little extra and we'll just do it for you. And our students are just as stressed as the rest of us. And they're like, okay, well, who's going to find out? What does this mean? The marketing's very sophisticated and they're reaching out to our students in spaces where us middle-aged profs aren't. They're on, a, they're on their marketing to our students on TikTok, on Insta, on, on other social platforms uh, and saying to students, we can help you. But that help comes with a price. 
What do uh, profs, uh, universities, and, and all academic institutions have at their disposal to, 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 to try to figure this out? Because if it's not computer-generated, if this is made by a human, um, it's not so much one of those programs where you can check um, you know, uh, on searches for plagiarism, uh, for example. Is this something that universities are actually looking to combat? Absolutely. Yeah, we're working together. We're networking. We've got people within our own institution working on this. We've got provincial and global networks. We share information. We share tactics from these companies. We say these are the signs to look for uh, in this outsourced work. So, yeah, there's a counter network of academics and educators who are working really hard to combat this. Is there a hope from educators then that there may be some legislation or some rules that might be put in place to stop these companies from operating here in Canada? Well, it's a good thing you asked that because last year in Australia, they actually made it illegal to provide services uh, for cheating, for academic misconduct. Okay. I think we're actually a few years away from that here, but there's legislation being tabled in the UK uh, and, and in other countries. It's actually illegal in 17 US states, believe it or not, not illegal in Canada. So there are a number of us saying, look, this needs to stop. The students, yeah, they're misbehaving, but really what we want to go after is the companies that are preying on them. Is part of this, uh, Doctor, the fact that, you know, it's, it's not a, a shop down the street, but somebody providing this sort of information and these services could be on the other side of the globe sitting behind a computer? And they are. And they outsource to anybody who's willing to do the work, often offshore, uh, highly qualified um, individuals offshore who may have higher degrees, who couldn't get jobs. Uh, and so they turn to this industry as a way to make some, some cash. They may not have any other option. There is supply, there's demand, the companies are the brokers, and they're making mega bucks off the backs of our students. Can you even take a guess as to how often you might be able to catch a student who is using one of these cheating companies? I think we're getting better and better at it. A couple of years ago, people thought, oh, this doesn't really happen. Or as you mentioned, right, we, it, it's a freelance thing, happens once in a while. We're finding it happening more and more, and we're getting better at detecting it. Let's, let's talk about, you know, the other approach. I mean, going after those folks that are providing the service, but uh, is the other approach, uh, the other side of it, uh, you know, explaining this to the students and going through that perspective uh, to put the brakes on it from the source? Yeah. From customers? Um, well, we always hold students responsible for their behavior. So if they've misbehaved, we hold them accountable. We know, though, that the marketing behind these companies is so slick and, and so sophisticated. It's like it's, it's better than any government propaganda you could imagine. And they really sell a message of hope and support and that they're going to help the students in ways that, that they need. Um, so I think lots of students are getting tricked. And once they start engaging with these companies, they find out the companies keep their data. They keep sending them texts saying, hey, wait. When can we help you with your next assignment? So although we hold the students responsible, we also see that they can be, in the end, the victims of bullying and harassment, sometimes even blackmail. There's evidence of these companies saying, we'll continue to charge your credit card $100 a month. If you try to cancel your credit card, we're going to report you to your school for cheating. And wow. that is happening. So the students get caught in the middle. That's amazing. Okay, so it really it, it can turn into uh, like a tr truly a crime, and, and to a varying degree, it gets worse and worse for those kids, and they, I'm sure a lot of them just feel like there's no way out of it. That's exactly what happens. And when companies are offshore and online, we have a really difficult time to prosecute them and go after them, which is why we're aligning it in some ways to organized crime, yeah. because prosecuting it is difficult. And for an individual teacher to take action against it is almost impossible. So that's why we're trying to work together to raise awareness and take action. 
You're going to be speaking, as a matter of fact, coming up in a, f- a few weeks. Can you tell us about the Alberta Congress 2021, the University of Alberta Congress 2021? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a massive uh, conference that happens across Canada in the social sciences and uh, research um, and humanities research. So I'll be presenting there on this topic, talking a little bit about the history of the of the industry and how it grew from, as you said, freelance suppliers and the industry as it stands today at fifteen billion dollars. The action we need to take against it. Well, congress2021.ca if people are interested in in checking out that information. But boy, we've come a long way from the Coles notes. That was our cheating source (laughs) back in the day. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Sarah Elaine Eaton, academic misconduct expert. And I'm not saying you should be cheating by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't imagine like there's more than a few times where I was just stuck at home doing homework. And now on the computer, I can see how it leads to, ooh, somebody wrote a great paragraph here. I'll yep. take it. Um, and, and there it's are, so easy, yeah. right? And you don't, I'm sure most of the kids who do it, it in that sense, what you're referring to, don't mean That's, to yeah. be plagiarizing or maybe don't even understand what that is. So, yeah, it's not to, not to say that it's right from these students who are contracting these services even, but at the same time, desperate times, I can imagine your back's against the wall. You're having a hard time understanding something. It, and Someone's it's so easy. throwing you a lifeline. Yeah. Uh, but where does that get you in the real world? When and it's then time if to... they're blackmailing the kids I can't at the believe end, that. that's unbelievable. Wow. Incre- $15 billion a year industry, according to the doctor. What you don't know. Our Friday tradition, catching up with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. He always has the newest and latest in theaters, if you can go. And streaming, of course, to keep us entertained at home. A good morning to you, Brett. Hello there. Let's talk about a movie that a lot of people like, A Quiet Place. And a bit of a teaser, and when I say teaser, I literally mean teaser, perhaps, for Canadians. Yeah, so A Quiet Place, the the horror movie came out a few years ago, starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. It was amazing. It was such a good movie. If you're not familiar with it, it's set in the world where monsters have invaded, and they they hunt by sound. So if you are alive... <laughs> You essentially have to live in silence because if the, the monsters hear you, they will come for you. And it was sensational. I just loved it. And it was a great theatrical experience. So the sequel was supposed to come out, I think, last April. It was either March or April 2020. But, of course, that's when the pandemic began. So they pressed pause on that and they kept pushing it back. They moved it to September and uh, then they just pulled it indefinitely. Yesterday they released the final trailer and they also released this spot talking about how we can't wait to get back into the theater. exciting to be able to come back to the theaters to see A Quiet Place 2 because it was always designed for a theatrical experience. It's a horror movie. You want to watch it in the dark. Jump and leap and gasp together. I'm really excited for you guys to see it. And then at the end, it reveals the date, which is May 28th. So I thought, ah. So that's, just, that's in theaters only? In the U.S., that's to be the thing, right? Because here, how many theaters are open? The last time I checked, there were three. I think there were three movie theaters mm-hmm. that were open in Canada. I haven't checked uh, in the last couple of weeks. One of them was in Lloydminster. Um, but yeah, so 
I don't know what the Canadian options are going to be for this. I will assume there will be a digital release, as has been the case for all of the big movies that have come out mm-hmm. over the last couple of months. But I just wanted to point that out because I was really looking forward to this. Like I was kind of hoping this would be the movie I got to see when movie theaters reopened. But who knows when that's going to be in Canada. So... Uh, yeah, in the meantime, it is now scheduled for a May 28th release. Hopefully, we can at least rent it. Well, as a person who's terrified at the mere thought of a horror movie, I'm not really all that upset about it. But <laughs> I feel for all of you who want to watch it, I would prefer to watch a superhero movie, Brett. So tell us what we've got going on Netflix. I know you watched it, so tell us about Jupiter's Legacy. Yes, this is a new series that has made its debut today, and I loved it. So this is based on a comic book series, and some have said this could be seen as Netflix's answer to Prime's The Boys, uh, a superhero show for a mature audience. It's about the world's first generation of superheroes and how they have kept the world safe for nearly a century but now their kids have to take up the mantle and there is family drama abound i've seen the show described as this is us with capes <laughs> and i think that's apropos given all of the family drama and given the same flashback formula that this is us uses uh, you know which was a s- storytelling technique that was popularized by lost and much like lost there is a huge mystery here because one of the big mysteries that is slowly revealed through flashbacks is just how did they get their powers and it's a great cast led by josh duhamel eight episodes i loved it i'm giving that first volume of jupiter's legacy four and a half couch cushions out of five but i should also point out the early reviews on rotten tomatoes are not favorable it's only at 20 percent right now oh wow ouch Uh, Maybe I'm out to lunch on this, but I really liked it. I was hooked on it, so I I recommend Jupiter's Legacy. Well, it's a a good recommendation, and the timing is perfect, just in time for the weekend. Uh, Thanks uh, for enlightening us, as always, Brett. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. He's Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes.